Welcome to this week's episode of The Knowing Heart. And the title of uh, this week's lecture is There is Nothing to Fear But the Fear of Fear. Okay, so let's start with the modern issue to be dealt with. According to Kabbalah and Hasidus, the two primary emotions of the human are love and fear. And being as such, it is fair to say that love and fear are the primary emotional needs of the human. Yet, while most people are nodding in agreement concerning the human need for the experience of love, in both the giving and the receiving of love, nevertheless, very few exceptions, with, with very few exceptions, most are vehemently nodding their head in disagreement concerning the human need of experiencing fear. Now, for starters, the emotion of fear received a bad rap in recent history. Franklin D. Roosevelt, elected as the 32nd President of the United States of America in the times of the Great Depression, in his inaugural speech, paraphrased Henry David Thoreau, who said that nothing is so much to be feared as fear, by saying, and I quote to you the words of the inaugural speech of President Roosevelt, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. A little more research, by the way, as to the origination of the quote will actually take us further back to the great 16th century writer Michael de Montaigne, who wrote, The thing of which I have most fear is fear. After which, in the 17th century, the English writer Francis Bacon wrote in his 1623 book, De Augmentis Scientiarum, and he wrote it in Latin, and I'll just translate it. Nothing is terrible except fear itself. Moreover, besides the well-known words of President Roosevelt, there is also another source of bad rap for the emotion of fear. And that is that as the ancient wisdom of martial arts made its way to the shores of America many taught and perceived a severely perverse notion of the maturity in one must facing his or her inner fears, with an immature slogan of no fear, as if this was a desired ideal for the perfection of humanity, to have no fear. Now, this is not true at all. Rather, one would best embrace there is nothing to fear but the fear of fear. Fear in itself is a divine emotion deeply embedded within the human being precisely because, and I quote to you from Genesis, and God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. However, as has been the history of human intervention into the course of nature, mankind 
has offset themselves to remove what they understood to be but an unnecessary, unpleasant component, only to then realize that by doing so, they have upset the greater balance of the ecosystem, the biology system, or the human psyche system. So I say, give fear a chance. In this lecture, based primarily on a mimer mystical teaching that the Rebbe of Blessed Memory delivered on this Shabbat in 1953, we are going to explore the divinity of the emotion of fear as it serves to the human's healthy state of mind. Okay, before I get into the introduction, I want to share with you that in my notes, I started putting a lot of footnotes so as to save time in the actual recording and the lecture itself. However, the footnotes really give a greater wealth of what's going on. And as always, I post a link to be able to print up a PDF of my notes. I will just make mention to you of the notes, but because this is really long, I'm going to leave out the notes, just make mention of you, and please feel free to go ahead, print up, and look up the footnotes. Okay, and when I say footnotes, I'm talking about eight footnotes, but they really explain very important parts of the discourse that I left out for the sake of brevity. Okay, let's jump into the introductions. First introduction, head versus beginning. The Rebbe entered into this teaching with the question of why we call the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Rosh, the first day of the year, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, instead of beginning of the year. The first day of the month is called Rosh Chodesh, head of the Chodesh, while we don't call Shabbat Rosh Hashavuah, the head of the week. Now, especially being that the mystical teachings explain that it is called head and not beginning when we talk about Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Chodesh because a head is not the beginning of the body, but rather the head has within it the entire life force and faculties of the body mapped out within itself on a higher level of existence, from which then comes forth specific rays from the brain through the nerve system to the specific organs of the body so that each functions appropriately. So too Rosh Hashanah is not just the first day of the year, but rather it is the all-inclusive day of the year in which lie the energy of each and every day of the year, which will each come to fruition as we travel through the year. And the same concerning Rosh Chodesh, the relationship which it has with all the days of its month. It is not just the first day of the month, but it is the head, the all-inclusive day of all the 38 or 29 days of the Jewish month. And if so, now let's talk about Shabbat. We are clearly taught concerning the Shabbat. And I quote you from the Zohar. From it, Shabbat, are blessed all the days of the week. Thus, Shabbat should be called Rosh HaShavuah, head of the week, being the all-inclusive day of the week. 
The answer at the closing of the Mimer, in which the Rebbe talks about, is that precisely because the blessing of Shabbat is from a level that cannot be revealed, we're going to go through this in the, in the class, what we call essence darkness, in the weekdays until Mashiach comes, Thus, presently, we do not experience Shabbat as a head which gives light to every day of the week because the great level of Shabbat is the essence darkness and thus it doesn't serve presently as a head which gives revealed energy to the days of the week. When Mashiach comes, that will change. And again, we will see this through the entire lecture. Now, being that the Mimer itself is primarily based upon the teachings of Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, on our Torah portion, together with other discourses of successors in Chabad, the, the Rebbes, the difference between Avraham, light, from above to below, and Isaac, darkness, from below to above. So being that that is the primary focus of the Mimer, I have placed a question and answer to in the introduction here about the Shabbat being called head or not. And will not explore it any further in the lecture itself. Okay, now let's get into an introduction that we need to understand to understand what we're going to explore. The Talmud tells us of an interesting story. And I'm going to quote to you the story. Yosef, son of Rabbi Yeshua, who became ill and fainted. When he returned to good health, his father said to him, What did you see when you were not conscious? What vision did you have? Yosef said to him, he answered his father, I saw an inverted world. Those above were below, while those below were above. His father, Rabbi Yeshua, responded to him, You have seen a clear world. The world you have seen is the true world. It is the world down here that we perceive which is inverted. And so too it is that our perception of the world is inverted in the way the world exists in the upper spiritual worlds. For example, from our perspective, the ground is the sturdy absolute foundation upon which we place beams to hold up the roof. The ceiling. However, in the spiritual world, it is the highest roof which we then place beams to hold up the floor. And that's why we are taught in the spiritual worlds there is, which is the highest level, the supernal crown, we'll talk about this, from which extends 620 beams. Now, why 620? parenthetically speaking. There are 248 positive commandments, thou shall do. There are 365 prohibitions, thou shall not do. Then there are seven rabbinical mitzvot. Added up, it's 620. Thus, from the supernal crown, the highest roof in the spiritual realms, there comes beams to hold up the universe. Okay, so too, concerning light and darkness, we perceive and see an inverted perception, an inverted reality of what lightness is and what, what light is and what darkness is. 
And now let's explain. Normally we speak of light as divinity, revelation, goodness, and darkness as the ego, concealment, and evil, right? When you learn, when you read a story, you know, and it was a dark, dark night and a dark, dark person with a dark, dark mission. We prefer to darkness as evil, light as goodness. That is the way it exists in the lower realm. However, in the higher realms, it is precisely the opposite. That which we call light is in truth darkness, and that which we call darkness is in truth light. How so? In the previous lecture, we have discussed that within every dimension there exists the internal and the external layers. The internal is the essence of the dimension, while the external is the expression of the dimension. The example used in that lecture was that of emotions. The interior of the emotion is the essence of the emotion which we ourselves within us are experiencing. However, we could never fully and truly express to another the entirety of what we are feeling. The moment we try to express our feelings, we are limited to the medium of our expression. Words, art, music. This is why, one, when a person is in the full force of an overwhelming essence of what he or she are feeling, they go into shock and cannot speak, at which it is imperative, you learn this in first aid, that we get in Red Cross first aid, that we get him to talk or her to talk, pulling him or her out of the paralyzing essence of the feeling into the palatable expression of the feeling. Secondly, likewise, it is why the greatest arts of any medium, whether it be from literature to painting to music, were oft frustrated, depressed, and even disgusted with their masterpieces. Why? Because what they originally saw within themselves, what they wanted to express in their art, was the essence of the idea, feeling, message. And what they see in their work, expression, is but a mere contracted and diluted expression of what they personally experienced or envisioned for their art. Now, thus, from the outside, the audience, what the art, the, the art that we see is light, while what remains hidden within the artist, which he could not or she could not express, is darkness. We don't see it. We don't know what the artist was or is actually experiencing. We only see the part of what they're experiencing that they were expressed in their art. Thus, the expression to us is light. The essence to us is darkness. However, for the artist, it is the reverse. That which is fully experienced within him or herself, is the essence is light, while the contracted and diluted experience is sheer darkness. Hence, the frustration that many artists 
lived with. So too it is when we speak of God, the revelation of His light. The verse states, He made darkness His hiding place about Him as His booth, meaning that the essence of God sits in darkness, while only His contracted expression lay in the light. To the outside evolution chain of creation, the universe, to us, in both the spiritual and the physical realms, the essence is called darkness. Hence, the verse says in Psalms that God sits in darkness, of which our sages teach. And here's an amazing teaching in the Talmud and Tractic Megillah. In the place where you find his, God's, greatness, there you have found his humility. What does that mean? What that means is that the Talmud, the mystical understanding of this Talmud, is that the mere fact that you and I perceive God's greatness means that God has contracted His greatness so that we could perceive it. In other words, we are being told that any light, revelation, and greatness that we are seeing and perceiving of God is the contracted expression and not the essence. Now, let's talk about the direct light and the rebound light. Okay, by the way, over here too, I had a note explaining how the same thing works with the sun. The sun itself, the essence of the sun to us is darkness, while only the sunlight that leaves the sun and comes to us, the expression of the sun is, is the concept of revelation. And, and I explained that over there. Now, from what we explained, light is all about the revelation below, expression, revelation. In other words, it is the divinity flow from above to below. However, in the teachings, there are two types of light. One is called direct light, straight, shining, being drawn from above to below. And there is the rebound light, literally, chozer means return light, shining, being elevated from below to above. This is the mystical concept that is in the commandment, and you shall love God your God. We're going to explain this a little more clearly in a moment. But the word v'ahafta, v'ahafta means and you shall love. If you add up the numerical value of the word v'ahafta, it has the numerical value of 414. Okay, so you have the letters, the vav, aleph, hey, vase, tough, which is 6152, 400, 414, which is the numerical value of two times the numerical value of the word or light. Light is 200 and, uh, 207. 414 is two times 207. Now, the word or, aleph, vav, resh, is 1, 6, 200. Now, why in the word love do you have twice the numerical value of light? Because there are two lights. There is the direct light and there is the rebound light. And I'm going to explain shortly what the connection between love and light is. The obvious question here is, as an introduction, I want to present the obvious question, being that the rebound light 
is not expressing any revelation below, but is returning to the essence. It's from below to above. Then why are we calling it light, which is all about expression and revelation down here below? Why? Okay. Next introduction. Abraham and Isaac. Another introduction necessary for this exploration is to see Abraham and Isaac in the face of our discussion of light and darkness. Now, our sages in the Holy Zohar teach us upon the verse in, Gen in, in Genesis. The fifth verse of the Torah reads, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called light. Night, I'm sorry. Darkness he called night. Now, what does the Zohar teach? It goes on to say that light, day, this is Abraham, while darkness, night, this is Isaac. Okay, interesting. And now, well, first of all, just immediately I want to point out that the Zohar is not calling Isaac darkness in the sense of evil, but rather, obviously, we're talking about an even greater level, which we now understand is essence. And now we can understand this. In the sense that Abraham served God and made God loved by all through the service of kindness, by feeding and giving, hosting guests. This is the service of light, shining from above upon those below. However, as we study in this week's Torah portion, Isaac was a well digger, digging down and within to bring forth the well water from below to above. And so do we find that Abraham is the service of love, as the verse in Isaiah states, Avram Ohavi, Abraham who loved me. While concerning Isaac, the verse calls God, in Genesis chapter 31, verse 42, Pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Isaac. Thus, what we have learned from all these introductions, number one, Abraham is love, which is light, while Isaac is fear, which is darkness. Number two, ultimately, darkness, which is the essence, is greater than light, which is the expression. And lastly, however, in our realm, it is light which brings us the revelation of divinity. So we will conclude our introductions with the following question. Our sages teach us the Talmud in Shabbat upon the verse in Isaiah. There's a verse in Isaiah in chapter 63, verse 16, that reads as follows. For you are our father, for Abraham did not know us, neither did Israel, Jacob, recognize us. And what, though, what does the Talmud say upon this verse? It explains that when Mashiach, the Messiah, comes, we will say to Isaac, you are our father. Now, there's a huge footnote that I bring here to explain what the Talmud explains on why this happened. And in, in one line, it's because when God notified each of the patriarchs that their offspring, we, the Jewish people, have sinned, it was only Isaac who rose up to defend us for God. Now, uh, what I'm asking is, on a mystical level, 
following that Abraham is light and I, and and Isaac is darkness and Jacob is a whole a whole different story a compassion a combination of both from higher the question I'm asking is on a mystical level why would we say to Isaac which is all about darkness and fear you are our father okay and now let us begin the lecture itself so as you know the way I go through the lecture is I first list you off a list of the mystical concepts that I'm going to be talking about and then after we go through each of the mystical concepts we're going to come back around to the practical palatable experience of fear and the fear of fear. So here goes the list of the mystical concepts we are about to explain. Number one, light is love. Number two, understanding love. Number three, understanding fear. Number four, the virtue of fear over love. And now let's go through all of it. Okay, the amazement of Hasidus begins. And I always say this when I go from the list of the Kabbalistic concepts to Hasidus. Because when you try to learn Kabbalah on its own, without the amazement of Hasidus, one becomes abstract, one becomes even egotistical in the concept, oh, I'm dealing with the mystical stuff. And all that stuff, while the amazement of Hasidus is that it makes it palatable, digestible, emotional, and most importantly, practical. So, the amazement of Hasidus begins. Light is love. Let us begin the teaching that with the teaching that light is love. Being that light is all about revelation and giving, Thus, light is goodness and kindness. Light is goodness, as the verse states in Genesis, and God saw the light that it was good. Light, good. And goodness and kindness are connected, as the verse in Psalms says, may only goodness and kindness pursue me. Now, the interior soul of goodness and kindness is love, as the verse in Jeremiah states, with everlasting love have I loved you, therefore have I drawn you to me with kindness. So the soul of kindness and kindness and goodness are connected is love. The point being that goodness and kindness is not about what the recipient deserves, but rather is based upon God's goodness and nature to do good. Thus, it is all about love. God's love for us. Now, so, light plus goodness, light equals goodness, and goodness equals kindness, and the soul of goodness and kindness is love. Thus, light is love. This is what we mentioned earlier, that the numerical value of via hafta and you shall love God your God, 414, and you shall love, right, is two times the numerical value of or, light, which is 207. Because love is light. And in light, there is two types of light, direct light and rebound light. So light is love. 
which is the revelation from above to below, built on the goodness and kindness of above. Now let us go to understand the service of love. We are commanded to serve God with love. Now, which is greater, love or fear? Before we explore um, love and, and fear, let's talk about for a moment which is greater. Love is in many teachings the ultimate experience that a human can have with God. All of the Hasidic avodat hatfilah, which means concentrative and meditative service of prayer, is all about arousing and experiencing within ourselves true love for God. And so too, do our sages in the Holy Zohar state, they rule, they give a rule, and I'm going to quote to you. There is no work, service, like the work of love. Less pulchono. There's no work like the pulchono de chamisu, the work of love. And even concerning teshuva, doing repentance, returning to God, the Talmud rules that the teshuva of love is much more powerful than the teshuva of fear. However, what we are going to explore is that there are four levels. In order from inferior to superior, they are lower love, lo I'm sorry, lower fear, lower love, higher love, higher fear. So in the lower realm, love is higher and greater than fear. However, you notice that in the higher realm, it is fear that is greater and higher than love. Okay? While we are in the lower realm, love is greater than fear. Nevertheless, in the higher realm, fear is greater than love. Let us understand love and fear and why in the higher realm, fear is greater than love. Now, let's go on to understanding love. In the higher realm of love and fear, love is the outcome of a concentration and meditation of distant God is from us, while fear is the outcome of a concentration and meditation of closeness, how close God is to us. Allow me to explain. Okay. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. This is a phrase that carried throughout the millennium and its earliest form is credited to the Roman poet Sextus Propertius. Here we are going to explore its source in Kabbalah and Hasidus finding a whole new meaning to the depths of what this saying really carries. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Fonder is love. Absence is distance. The concentration and meditation of higher love is upon the verse of course, we all know this verse, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, Lord is our God, God is one. Emphasize, underline, one. Now, the definition of the word one in this verse is to be understood as unique, in which there are no other like God. 
on a mystical level, what this means is that even though the entire evolution chain of creation is all God, nevertheless, Malachi, the prophet, proclaims in God's name, and I quote to you from chapter 3, verse 6, For I, God, have not changed. And what this means is, as we say in our morning blessings, introduce introduction to the morning prayers, we say this, you are until the world was created, you are from when the world was created. Okay, what is the, what are we saying in preparing for prayer? What this teaches us is that all of creation, from its highest level to its lowest level, are all from the contracted light of God, which ultimately deals with the primordial infinite light, which is, as we earlier explained, that even the primordial infinite light is but infinitely inferior to being absolutely naught in the face of the essence. So the sunlight is totally naught in the face of the essence of the sun. The light of God, before the contract, sorry, before the symptom contraction, before it all, when our sages in the Pirkei Darabalaza says that there only existed He and His infinite light, His name. Over there, the essence and the relationship of the infinite light of God, the infinite light of God is completely not in the face of the essence of God. Now, all of creation was brought about through a contraction in the infinite light of God. Now, therefore, let's talk about what the meditation and concentration upon the Shema Yisrael is, from which we go on to say, V'ahavta, and you shall love. And that is the concentration and meditation of the verse, God, hero Israel, God is our God, God is one, unique, there is none other like him, is that all of creation is but from Havaya, which in English that name of God is called Lord. And it's the name of God that refers to kindness and revelation, the primordial infinite light, which went through the contraction of Elokeinu, the other name for God. In English we refer to that name as God. Name of God that refers to justice, concealment, and shield upon Havaya, the post-contraction light. So all of the world just came from the light of God. And nevertheless, we, we must hear, O Israel. Now our sages tell us that the word hear, O Israel, means to understand. People, understand. What do we need to truly understand and concentrate and meditate upon? That the essence of God is one completely and infinitely, qualitatively and quantitatively, superior and separated from all of this. To the point that even the primordial infinite light of God is called but not. This concentration and meditation of the absence, distance of the essence of God in all the realms of the universe makes the heart grow fonder. What this means is, as the heart now wants nothing of the realm in which it exists, 
and yearned only for the essence is one. So what you're hearing here is that once you realize that the divinity and the relationship with God that exists in all of the universe and creation is but a naught ray of God, then your reaction is, I don't want this. I want Him. I want the essence. I want to be in the bosom of the essence of God and not just swimming in a contracted north light of God. So all of a sudden you have a yearning. Your heart becomes fonder, closer, loving to God, yearning for God, only because you realize how distant we are from God in that we are just creatures and sustaining and living and basking only in the contracted, diluted light of God and not in the bosom of the essence of God. And now let us go even deeper into the mystical dimension of distance. So the first interpretation of distance we understood is that we realize that we are but frolicking in the infinite light of God, which is so infinitely distant and not from the essence of God. Now let's look at the word distance from our experience, in which the experience of love is ultimately founded upon ego and self, in which the yearning is all looking for a desired outcome of feeling and experiencing a closeness with the essence. So love is all about me and my wants. I don't want to frolic in some diluted light of God. I want to be in the bosom of God. So the focus of love starts with the I. I am distance. I want to be close. I want the essence of God in my life. Now, this love of yearning is the experience of the, uh, in the experience of the distance which leads to the rebound light rebound light is yearning wanting to go from below to above in which we yearn to draw upwards from the below the contracted light to above the essence now let's talk about the love of the direct light so the love of the rebound light is by focusing on the distance I want out from the below and to enter into the above now we talk about the love of direct light which flows from above to below is also based upon the concentration of meditation upon the distance of God from us from God to us and us to God now, for this I need to share with you a different interpretation in the commandment, and you shall love God your God. So the simple, man of, the simple understanding of the commandment is that I must concentrate, meditate until I give birth to a palatable feeling in my heart of I love God. There's another teaching which says the ahafta doesn't mean that you shall love, but you shall make love. What does that mean? What it means is that through your actions, you will have other people loving God. What this means is, let's talk about this. Our sages in the Talmud and Yuma teach us, Abaya said, Abaya is a famous sage in the Talmud. 
as it was taught, and you shall love God your God, which means that you shall make the name of heaven beloved. What this simply means is that we must behave in a fashion that those who see us will love our God, who directs us to behave in these ways of goodness, kindness, compassion, and integrity. Now let us look at the mystical meaning behind the words of Abaya in the Talmud, you shall make the name of heaven beloved. Okay, so we're going to get mystical here for a moment. The name of heaven, when we say Shem Shamayim, the name of heaven, Kabbalistically, this refers to the emanations of the world of divinity and unity, called Atzilut. You have a link in the notes if you want to read more about the four worlds. And being that even these superior spiritual emanations are but of the contracted infinite light, they are thus lacking and they are distant and need to have a revelation drawn into them. So look what Kabbalah does. Shem Shemayim refers to the divine emanations within the world of divinity and unity. However, being that the world of unity, Atzilut, the world of divinity and all its emanations are all part of the post-symptom evolution chain of creation, Therefore, they themselves are in a mode and in a being, state of being, of lacking because they're only from the contracted infinite light. Thus, Kabbalah says that when the Talmud says you shall love God means that you shall make the name of God loved, what it really means is that through serving God with love, we will draw down greater divinity into the emanations. So, loved means revelation, giving, and the name of heaven means the emanations of God. We making the name of heaven loved means that we're bringing revelation into the emanations. And what is the concentration and meditation that leads me to focus that I must serve God with love so that I can bring greater divinity light, love, revelation into the emanations? is my understanding that the emanations on their own is from the contracted light which is distant from God. Thus, this focus and concentration and meditation upon distance from God to the entire universe, including the world of divinity and all the emanations, the distance is what has me focused that I have to create a direct light from above to below bringing a revelation from above into the evolution chain, the world of divinity, into the lacking emanations of the world of divinity. So here we have the rebound light, when I realize how distant I am from God because I am part of the universe, which is only from the contracted light, I yearn upwards. I don't want all the great pleasures of this world, even the spiritual divine pleasures, because it's all just a diluted, contracted, concealed, infinite light of God, finite light of God. I want to go upwards from below contracted light to above the essence. That's the rebound light, the love that comes from focusing on how distant we are from God. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And then there is the direct light, 
which is where I focus on because even the world of divinity, the world of unity, the Atzilut world, which is part of the evolution chain of creation, hence it's all part of the contracted finite light, it is distance, it is lacking. Thus, I must serve God with love down here because through me serving God with love down here, the name of heaven, the emanations of the world of divinity will be loved, meaning that they will receive revelation from above to below. So, in summary, every focus of love, which is light, is all about a meditation concentration and a true tangible perception and feeling of how distant the essence of God is from the universe. Now, let's go to higher fear. So fear is built upon closeness. What does this mean? In the sense of closeness to the essence of God and in the sense of closeness as selflessness, not being a distant identity from God. So, we spoke about that the, from the verse upon which we meditate and concentrate to create love is the Shema Yisrael here. O Israel, God is our God. God is one. What verse do we meditate on in order to be able to give birth to a palatable, tangible feeling of higher fear? Okay, so I, I just want to share, right? In the lower realm, it's different. In the lower realm, it's the exact opposite. My fear comes from distant from God. When I feel an abandonment from God due to my sins, creating a distance, I'm in fear. When I feel close to God, I feel love. That's in the lower realm. In the higher realm, it's the reverse. It's the distance of God that creates a yearning, a love, and it's the closeness of God which creates a fear. Let's see how that works. The concentration and meditation of fear are the polar opposites of that of love. Here the concentration and meditation are not about how infinitely naught and distance the essence from the universe and is infinite life, light, life force. But rather, here the, the concentration and meditation are on the verse in Jeremiah. And here Jeremiah says it as a question form. Do I not fill heavens and the earth? That's the prophecy he's giving in the name of God. God is asking a question. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Here I underlined and emphasized the word I. Do I not? Now, I represents the essence. And the prophet is saying, do not I, the essence of God, fill heaven and earth. Now to understand the concentration and meditation upon this verse, we're going to need to go a little bit back to a deeper understanding in the tzimtzum, in the contraction process that God used to create the universe. Okay, this is a primary fundamental belief in the symptom process. This one aspect. What is it? That, which is that while the symptom created a place of void of the infinite light 
and its contracted and concealed the finite light. It had emphasized absolutely no effect whatsoever upon the essence of God, God forbid. The symptom process was only put in effect to affect the light of God in the infinite light in creating a void, a reversal of the shine, elusiveness, and in the finite light, a contraction so that it can be small enough to permeate and be a life force to the universe. So the whole symptom only deals with the light. It does not deal with the essence of God. There is no place of void of God, God forbid. There's no void. There's no void of the essence of God. There's nowhere where God is not. And likewise, the essence did not go through a contraction, God forbid. Thus, God is omnipresent in the literal sense. And even more so, our sages and voracious rabbis say, why is one of God's names Makom, place? Why is that a name of God? So I quote, He, God, is the place of the world and not that the world is his place, meaning that everything exists within the essence of God. There was no contraction, there was no void, everything exists within the essence of God. An imagery I suggest, I did not see this in the teachings, I'm just suggesting it, so please take it for what it helps and leave the rest. I suggest for this is that symptom is but like a one-way mirror in which from God's point of view, it is but a clear see-through glass, while from the universe's point of view, it is a mirror. Thus, the essence of God's exists as is, pre and post symptom. And therefore, Jeremiah asked in the name of God, do I, the essence of God, not fill the heavens and the earth? For a quote, a quote of a beautiful um, expression of the Rebbe in this mimer. Everything, everywhere is found the entire I. That's what God is saying. There is nowhere where my entirety, my essence isn't. Now the outcome of this concentration, that the essence of God is right here, close to me, that, right? Therefore, this creates the greatest fear or humility and bashfulness within us. We're standing right here within, in front of the presence of the essence of God. Thus, it is closeness that brings fear. And so too it is in the closeness from the sense of total self-nullification and transparency of self to God. For unlike love, which is based upon me and my wants, as explained earlier, the entirety of higher fear is based upon the presence, closeness of the essence. The everywhere is found the entire I. I mean, it's hard for us to create this imagery because we don't have monarchy. So we can't really wrap our head around what it means to stand in front of a king who is infinitely, infinitely higher, and in his word, you live or die. But imagine if you open the door going into your room, and all of a sudden, 
The king is there. Imagine what happens. Not the fear of the king's going to do something to me. <laughs> the king is not a bad king, the one that we're talking about in, in this example. But it's a total fear and awe of the exaltedness and greatness of the presence of God. Many will experience this. I have. When I was in Arizona, in the Grand Canyon, you suddenly feel the minuteness just standing in the presence of a revelation of God's greatness. How much more so when I feel close and the presence of the essence of God. That creates a, 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 a bashfulness, a humility, an absolute self-negation. This is not about I want God. It's rather about God's presence completely creating and dominating an emotion of fear within me. Hence, it is not about the ego, I, that loves. It's about the total selfness, transparency to the presence of God, which creates fear. Now let's talk about the last concept, the virtue of fear over love. And with this, we can now understand the virtue, the virtue of fear over love, which is the virtue of darkness over light, which is the virtue of Isaac over Abraham, which is why when Mashiach comes, we will say, Isaac, you are our father. Now, I just want to point out to you that there's a footnote here in which I share the concept which the Rebbe started with in the Mimer, talking about the day before Rosh Chodesh and Rosh Chodesh, and the fact that the day before Rosh Chodesh, there's absolutely darkness in the old moon, and in the day of Rosh Chodesh, there is the light of the new moon being born, and how that plays out as well. But in, in what we're going to talk about it is what the concepts that we already discussed, which is fear over love, Abraham, Isaac over Abraham, darkness over light. Okay, what is this virtue, greatness, from darkness over light, which is Isaac over Abraham, which is why when Mashiach comes, we're going to say to Isaac, you are our father. Number one, while love is based upon the center and feeling of I and what I want, on the other hand, fear is based upon the presence of the greatness of the essence of God. Transparency. Humility. Number two, while love is based upon the expression, the infinite light of God, on the other hand, fear is based upon the essence of God. Thus, fear is greater than light, than love. However, what remains to be understood is that being that Isaac is darkness, which we now understand is the essence. Okay, so that's greater. But nevertheless, being that for us, the experience of our relationship with God is in the revelation. How can we build our relationship upon the darkness of Isaac, you are our father? Darkness is essence. Essence is greatness. Greater. However, I, I can only experience my relationship in the revelation of what I'm feeling. 
Thus, from my perspective, even though darkness is greater than light, but in darkness I won't have a tangible experience of my love with God. While in light, I will. And if it's all about God wanting us to experience our relationship with Him, then why are we going to focus on Isaac, darkness, rather than on Abraham, light? And the answer is that the difference between how the world is now from creation through the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and the millenniums in, in exile to the times of the world to come after Mashiach comes is that presently only the light can shine into the world while the essence darkness is that of a pleasure unfelt. That's a terminology in Kabbalah. Meaning that the pleasure, the essence is here but it is unfelt and thus does not translate into a tangible relationship with God. That's how it is from the day that Adam was created, through the process of God giving us the Torah, through the millenniums of us keeping Torah alive and Torah keeping us alive in exile. However, when Mashiach comes and the world will be elevated into what the Talmud calls a boundless portion, in which also the darkness, essence, will shine and will be tangibly felt by us, becoming the ultimate experience of our relationship with God. So now we're only stuck in experiencing revelation. So even though the essence is so much greater, and that's what we're doing with our Torah and mitzvot, however, we don't feel it. When Mashiach comes and the world will be elevated and opened up, then we will experience even darkness as a revelation, a shine in our relationship with God. In closing, what we now understand is that the fear of experiencing fear is based upon the fear of total humility and self-abnegation. Allow me to explain with a metaphor that I once read. Once out in the vast ocean there was a baby wave building. The winds were blowing powerfully and the wave was growing, experiencing amazing pleasure of the experience of being built and blown and stronger, more powerful with the wind. And then, as the young wave was getting closer to the rocky shore and saw how one wave after the other went crashing into the rocks and then disintegrating, the young wave began to panic. An older, more seasoned wave was passing the young wave and noticed its panic. And he asked, hey chap, what? why the panic? To which the younger wave cried out, Look, look, we're all going to die. The older wave smiled wisely and compassionately as it responded to the younger wave with, Well, that all will depend on how you define yourself as a wave or as part and parcel of the ocean. The fear of fear exists and is debilitating only if we are stuck in defining ourselves as the I am and I want of self, built only upon the experience of light and love. 
However, if we can dig deeper, beyond the symptom contraction, and beyond the comfort of love and light, then we feel safe and secure in opening ourselves up to the closeness of everywhere is found the entire I, and the total humility and self-negation that this brings. Likewise, we will feel safe and secure in our fear and darkness, in the intimacy and oneness with God that it offers us. Thank you.